0: Hello and welcome to Transformation Simulation, the podcast about agile transformations and personal transformation. I am glad you are here today. I'm your host, Nathan Chawilabouache, and we have a great podcast for you today. Our simulation today is about emergent leadership, and I am joined by coaches Alicia Yannick and Chris Tolino to discuss this topic. However, before we join the conversation, a brief disclaimer. This simulation is created from real experiences and fabrications for the purpose of this discussion only. All names and companies are fictional. However, the advice, coaching, and solutions we offer based on this simulation are exactly the same as we would offer in the real world. And with that, let's jump into the discussion. I'm joined today by two coaches who I love very much. Yes, I'm using the emotion, the word in the emotion love today. And um, one of them is my favorite coach. I'm contracted to say that.
1: <laughs> Such crap. Such, I cannot believe we're coming out of the gate with just crap. Like that sets the stage for how the rest of this is going to go.
0: <laughs> Alicia Yannick is here. Uh, with us Um, she's a staple on the podcast as you know she's actually carrying the majority of the weight in the discussion and things like that so my favorite coach is here to do that again for us with this episode and a coach who I admire and love um, Chris Tolino also known as Sweet Tony is here (laughs) how you feeling today Sweet Tony?
2: Great, Nathan. Great. You know what? You know what? You're my favorite coach. And I think, I think I'm think i Alicia's favorite coach. I think we have got a little triangle going on here.
1: It's like a hug fest. We're just coming out of the yeah. game, slinging crap, calling it a big old hug fest. So I think for anyone listening, like now's when you just grab a beer because that's going to be what the rest of this is like today.
0: <laughs> we're off to a great start are we now
1: are we sure how are we defining great Nathan define great
0: <laughs> I don't have the data from that I'll have to um <laughs> actually uh Chris is the one who mines Jira for me so right. you know on our assignments <laughs> yeah so.
1: right we do make Chris do all the hard work on Jira, don't we
0: we do I <laughs>
2: know I can probably Google this, but can you just do it for me?
1: (laughs) I think I've said that before. I know I could Google this, but I don't want to.
2: (laughs) Why
0: don't we read our simulation and uh, start the discussion? So this uh, simulation is called Management Empowerment, and here we go. The Investment Technology Department of VUCA International recently completed a transformation readiness evaluation. The evaluation suggests that team members feel they they cannot present or challenge ideas because their reporting managers are either the product owner, the team manager, or have some other role on the team. The evaluation suggests a change in team structure is needed to remove managers as leaders of teams just to enhance the health of the team. Upon reading this in the evaluation, one of the managers, John, mentions that he needs to know and manage everything that happens on the team since he is responsible for their performance. John also expresses that his teams need extra leadership and are a long way from being able to function effectively with autonomy. John has heard of Agile teams that do not have managers and thinks it's ridiculous John believes he needs to be able to drive work through the team and hold them accountable for delivery in order for them to be successful. All right, John. um, Does John sound familiar to any any of us?
2: Yeah, I think there's thousands of Johns. I really do.
0: (laughs) There are. Um I think as we were kind of talking before this uh Alicia you have some direct experience um being John to an extent.
1: Well hopefully I wasn't. A, uh, John comes across as a little <laughs> a little arrogant so I'm not sure exactly Nathan where to take that that <laughs> That comment because I was
0: about to say this is a family show. You were about to say, something.
1: I did. I did. I did pause. People think I don't have a filter, but I did. <laughs> I engaged the filter. Um, you know what I wanted to say though, so we'll chat about that on the side. Um, I, I'm i going to amend your statement a smidgy
0: smidge, please.
1: I was, I've occupied the same. Roles John has, in fact, maybe even more than he has, but at my approach was different. Now, that said, I don't think it's smart for people to do, and this would be a don't do what I did type lesson, in that I was the manager of the team or teams or entire software development and product delivery department. Um, I also was a scrum master. I also was the agile coach and I think I did that five times over. So apparently I needed to learn a lesson and I'm stubborn and it took me five times. Some of those experiences were the most successful agile transformation experiences I've had and some of the most successful management experiences I've had. Now that said, some of them weren't. Um, it was incredibly challenging to be able to fulfill all of those roles and it is typically if not always a really bad idea (laughs) to to do that so I would not I would not coach anyone to repeat what I just described but I think it's a common challenge particularly in small companies who say we don't have the budget but we have a need and so we're looking for the unicorn who can do all the things. Um, But Nathan, that's slightly different from John who is saying, my team's not capable of doing what you're asking me to let them do. And so when you say that I was like John, I hope I didn't ever give that impression to the folks who worked for me because that's the antithesis of an agile-minded leader or manager. And I have a question for you. For me? Because maybe you know the guy who wrote this simulation. (laughs) Chris, every once in a while, Nathan knows Every once in a while, Chris, Nathan knows the guy who wrote the simulation, but he's not always willing to. Mm -hmm. Mm Oh, okay. So, so, hold on. John has heard of Agile teams that do not have managers, and he thinks that's a load of crap. Right. Mm -hmm. My question to you is... Is, yeah, it's ridiculous. Are we talking about agile teams as being self-organized, or are we talking about agile teams as being self-managed? Because for me, they're two different things. What,
0: hmm.
1: what do we want to play around with here?
0: That's a good distinction. I guess um, I usually get really irked when someone answers my question um, with a question. Are you going to throw a question that? back? My I'm going to hang up. <laughs> you better not. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, um, can this – do you think this this team under John's leadership and direction, they, they probably can't self-organize?
1: I would say they can't do either, right? Yeah, in this <laughs> simulation, Nathan, I'm going to come out of the gate swinging because that's how this night's going. Um, I'm going to come out of the gate swinging and, and say – Based on his management style and tactics, this team can probably, I would predict, this team can neither self-organize nor self-manage. That would, right. be, that would be my guess right here, sir. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Isn't it interesting that it's always the teams that are micromanaged where the manager says, this team's not capable of doing this without me, right?
3: That's, yeah. Like,
2: well, sure, you've been doing this <laughs> for them. You haven't seen them. Manage themselves. They haven't tried to manage themselves. If they did try, they would initially fail. Right? They would have to learn to organize and manage themselves. So it's always interesting that, yeah, if you haven't developed the teams' self-organizing or or even individual leadership capabilities, um, not to not to you know lead other people, but be just be a leader, have leader mindset, have leader attitude. Um, then yeah, they're going to be dependent on direction and they're only going to take action when they're given direction. And if they don't feel psychologically safe to make mistakes, they're only going to take the exact action that they're told to take, right? They're not going to deviate at all because they're going to be afraid of of the blowback from that. So you find teams that they behave as if they can only act under direction because that's the way they're being managed. And it appears that they only act under direction because they're not—they're not given the opportunities to explore, to try different things, or to to lead each other, or, or you know, they, they don't have that opportunity. They haven't developed those skills.
0: Hey, Chris, I think I've heard you um, talk about this before, and you indicated that sometimes teams like this and um, uh, the members of the teams they end up. Um, developing what you called rigid compliance to, to, to the direction. In other words, they would yeah. only comply to some type of impulse to do work. If they were told to do
2: it, they stopped thinking on their own um, and so forth. Yeah. I mean, you find that, so, you know, it seems as though John wants to direct all work. He wants, probably he, he is good at this in some way and he wants some pride from, um, you know, using that skill, right? To, to direct efforts, to organize, you know, action. And it probably makes field John feel like he's being very effective and he's helping the team. But in reality, he's, he's, he's hurting the team. And, and yeah, I've seen teams dr- drop back into very strict compliance, even sometimes malicious compliance, right? Well, where, where they will do what they're told even though they know it's the wrong thing yeah, uh-huh. and they'll, they'll, they'll carry it out without, escalating it because they've been um, so micromanaged or previous attempts to push back or to try a different way or to use some initiative have resulted from negative consequences, even if they were not official, even if they were, um, you know, just a little bit of embarrassment. You know, they, it, it really takes a lot of courage to stick your neck out sometimes and try something new. And when that's met with a slap, um, you know, that it only takes a few instances like that, I think, to have teams develop a normal that is is very um, complacent.
1: So what would we tell John if we were sitting in the room and we were part of the readout and we heard John pipe up and say, coaches, not a chance. My team just... They, they they don't have it together enough. They're not capable. They don't have the skills. They don't have the muscles. And we've been in these rooms. What do we say to the Johns of the world? We come we come across. How do we help John grow a little bit and learn to trust a bit?
2: You chill. Hmm. What'd you say? Yeah, I mean yeah, chill. <laughs> yeah, chill out. I like the phrase start thinking more like a gardener than a general, right? Start thinking more like you want to grow and cultivate this team, not boss them around and direct every move. Think about when you were a team member and your dream boss, what did, what would they do? What would your work environment be like? What would your autonomy be like under those? Can you be that boss? Can you be the boss you dreamed about when you were 25? Um, and, Yes, the team doesn't have these capabilities yet. We're going to transform. You know, we're going to we're going to eat a lot of leaves and and make a cocoon, and, and we're going to come out a butterfly. You know, but but yeah, right now we can't fly. We're still that caterpillar. We've got to get there, and um, not. And, and honestly, it can be very difficult to convince a manager to make that mindset shift. Yeah. Um, they're in their mind, they're putting a lot at risk. They've used these command and control tactics for decades, perhaps. It has gotten them promoted. It has gotten work done, and, and they feel comfortable with them. And they don't feel comfortable with the team, who of course is error-prone because they're made of humans, acting autonomously um, or acting in ways that they're unaware, making mistakes that they might not be uh, aware of that will then cause them embarrassment.
0: Good points. There might've been a mic drop right there, uh,
2: Chris. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that before we can help John, we really, and and I know you guys agree with this too. We really have to understand John. You know, we have to empathize with the situation John's in so that we can help him. Right. Right. And And I think those things are important.
1: I once asked someone I was coaching, who is at a leadership level and he he had trouble he was making himself nuts he wasn't sleeping at night he was super super stressed he wasn't really oh that probably messed up the mic he wasn't really serving his team very well he wasn't serving himself very well and I said to him what are the three biggest things that are weighing upon you and he identified what the three things were and I said which one of those three has the lowest impact if it goes sideways if if it all goes wrong, which one of those three has the least impact to the overall success of the initiative? And he came up with one and I said, and what will be the let's play this out. What will be the worst thing that could happen if you set the parameters for what success looked like and asked your team if they could deliver against those parameters? And you said you were there for them if they needed your support, but on a day-to-day basis, you weren't going to micromanage them or that you were going to allow for autonomy, right? So instead of saying what you weren't going to do, talk about what you are going to do. You were going to allow for autonomy. And He played it out, and he said he said some things, and then he thought about them, and he said some more things. And ultimately, he said, I said, would the program fail? And he said, no. And I said, would you personally fail? And he said, no and i said would anyone likely lose their job or would the the customer base be harmed in any way and i said he said no because we were talking about doing it for a week right or two weeks inside of a sprint cycle we weren't talking about hands-off all autonomy for till the end of time just to create some space just to start to create a different dynamic and so we came to the conclusion that if he could communicate to his team, this is what success looks like on this thing, this initiative or whatever it was. He could, and he told them, I'm giving you some autonomy to do your thing here. I'm trusting you. I'm here when you need me. Come get me anytime. He could then focus on some of the other things that were more we're higher, we're we're more, we're more, Nathan, you had to edit this, but we're more critical. We're a little more high touch. Um, Mm. If they didn't go right, it, there could be some consequences. And he said, I love this. I'm so excited to try this. And he said, I don't think I can do it for two weeks, but I can give you one week. And I said, great. And I I said, can I check in with you in a week? And he said, yes, please do. And he couldn't do it. By the end of that day. And by the end of that day, he, he had twisted himself back up and yeah. couldn't do it. And so I think, Chris, when you say meet John where John's at, the, the, it, it's not that this guy didn't – the relief in his voice when we came up with this coaching plan, just this little small experiment was palpable. And yet by the end of that day – he, he, he had moved back into what he knew was causing him harm. And ultimately Chris, to your point was causing his team's harm, but he couldn't do it. He just couldn't get himself off the mark, but probably Nathan, you want to talk about teams and team structure and
0: well, I, I just, I think on this topic, so I, I actually, I might be a little bit of a dissenter to what, chris said on one aspect so like chris you said you know we have to empathize with the johns i agree with that to an extent Mm -hmm. i i need to feel what john feels just enough to help him change his perspective but not let him anchor in his you know in this feeling that i'm responsible therefore they're responsible they're going to do things my way. I have to have control. I need to push the work through. I can't trust. I, I don't, I guess as a coach, what I'm saying is I don't want to develop too much empathy for him because my job is to, to an extent, change him from a manager to a leader that empowers his team. And Hmm. if I feel too much for him, I might not be able to do that. Meaning mean you
1: let him sit on the mark, Nathan? Yeah, nope. I let him instead sit of moving on it, off the mark. Man. Yeah,
0: right. And and then I'm then you know I listen to him tell me, dude, I have I have six years of schooling and management, and I know about you know this. I'm like, dude, I don't care. You you, you need to empower these yeah. people,
2: you know. Um,
0: I, it, yeah. You for, don't want
2: them to take you hostage, right? right? It's like Stockholm syndrome, right? You can you can empathize so much that you start buying into it a little bit, or cutting them a break to not to not make some progress. Right. right. Because you're like, Oh yeah, you're, you're a deal with so much. I guess, I guess it's okay if you just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. You don't want to go that far and you can sometimes. Yeah.
0: And usually I don't, so I, um, I didn't, I want to make sure this is clear, Chris, I didn't bring you on this show to disagree with you. Usually I save that for Alicia. Just, I disagree with her at least. <laughs> at end, so. <laughs> but you, uh, you
2: can point counterpoint all day long. It's
0: just, <laughs> yeah, I'm fine with it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and so, so, like, my perspective here, too, is a little different. I am, I have to say, um, with these managers that have this approach, I am talking personally here. Um, I am not that sympathetic sometimes to what they want to accomplish, um, especially in John's situation here. Because it's obvious that if John continues on, unless John has some epiphany of a moment, some kind of hard stop, some kind of realization or something like that, he's going to do this wherever he goes. And um, unfortunately for some people, but fortunately for me, I'd like to be the guy that uh, comes in and is very difficult for John to kind of continue looking at his teams the same way. And so I'm not – sometimes I'm not nice, all the way nice to John. (laughs) I want to force him to change. But sometimes, you know, I just – I have to be friendly to him. I have to respect him, and I have to understand where he comes from.
1: But there's a difference between being respectful Mm -hmm. and being – also being challenging.
0: Oh, yeah, I'm respectful and challenging.
1: Right. That it Respect means I understand that, John, that you come from a certain – Train of thought that got you to where you are. We're headed someplace different, so how do we get from where we are to where we're going? Because we're going. That's that's the thing. As coaches, is we're going there. So yeah. how can we how can we work together to get there? And I think I think that's the that balance. Maybe it's a tripod. I don't know between empathy, respect, and challenge, yeah. and that it it is the art of those things coming together that allows. Room for people to move from where they are to where we need to head. I feel for this team a lot, though.
2: Yeah. Sometimes I'm able to make some uh, movement in that front when we are, let's say, we're doing a uh, spinning up a new team, we're doing agile workshops with this new team. Uh, We'll tell the manager that we are about to create conflict immediately (laughs) because we're about to tell the team that they plan their work, that they meet every sprint and they look at the priorities that are given to them and the work that's ready to work on. And they come up with a plan for their sprint and they do a confidence vote and they decide what's enough work. And yeah, there can be some negotiation with the product owner about which items, but ultimately the team's going to make that decision. And you've been making that decision for all this time. You've been telling them what they're going to do the next two weeks. Yeah. And we're telling them that they're going to decide. So we're going to create a conflict right away. And, you know, we need you to be open to that and ready to negotiate where you need to. Um, or our preference <laughs> was saying that um, recently, please direct the team through the product owner. The product owner is the person that we, we really want to be prioritizing all the work for the team. We want that person to understand that whole domain, that space, all the priorities, um, so that everybody else doesn't have to Right, That's their job. All the managers don't have to understand everything that's going on. Um, a matter of fact, that's one of the things I saw in the simulation that John wants to know, um, everything that's going on. Right. And we see this a lot and it's, it's, and, and Nathan, this is the one where I feel it's very effective to push back on because it is a giant waste of time. Right. I mean, if you have a team of just 10, just 10 people, and you want a manager to know everything about everything they're doing, think about that. That's daunting. That's 400 hours of work a week you have to be aware of. It's, and it's quite impossible, right? It, the, the information needs to be summarized. Some information needs to be dropped. I'm sure they're making it sound better than it is, right? They're softening the tone. They're br- the, taking the bad news down a notch, and they're sending the information up. And then I'm sure that manager is doing it and setting it up to his manager. And so eventually the information that goes up becomes meaningless. It's not enough information to make decisions off of, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, a better strategy is set the expectation with your team that they should know everything that's going on, right? It's their work. That's their space. And that if you need to know something, that it's their job to produce it or come up with the answer. Whatever. That's a much better strategy system you're giving the team a responsibility they can figure out how to how they're going to handle it right do we need to have reports ready do we need to have information available do we have to have a tool so that we can keep track of you know what's going on but but if if we have a stakeholder that has information needs um you know rather than us constantly feed them information about what's going on all the time you know a comment every day in every story i hear sometimes stuff like that um you know, just have them be able to be responsive. Yeah. What does the team need to do? Yep. Oh, can I throw one thing out there that, sure I, that I like? What do you want? It? So I find that just introducing and playing a little bit of delegation poker, if you're not familiar with delegation poker, it's a game where there's seven cards and they describe varying levels of delegation from on one end, the manager just decides, makes decisions, no input. The other end, the team decides. They don't even consult the manager. You know, there are things the team may decide, you know. And there's examples of that. Where are we going to go for lunch? We don't ask the manager, right? We just go. And in the middle, there's a, you know, we agree, we collaborate, and there's some steps in between. But I find that some managers aren't even aware that there's multiple steps, you know, that, that before making a decision, I could consult with the team. Or before finalizing a decision, I could try to sell the team on what my decision is going to be, you know, and and get their reaction. Uh, And that can help move the needle a little bit from command and control one step at a time towards, you know, self-organizing teams. Yeah. I try to do that with my
0: wife, too. I try to sell her on the decision I'm going to make before I make it, even though she doesn't know that's what I'm doing. And sometimes it's successful. (laughs)
1: Where it was, <clears throat> it's not gonna be anymore. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm batting about uh, 40 percent uh, on that.
1: Uh-huh. Thirty percent. So what do that's we? That's really good, Nathan. We talked that's about
2: 400?
1: we talked about wh- how we would coach John. Uh-huh. Let's talk about bigger picture, John. I think Chris, you said in the beginning, there's thousands of Johns out there. So John is really an example of managers that we come across all the time when we're doing transformations. Uh, what do you tell managers who say, what, what, what's my job now? If I, have an, if, we have a, if I have a scrum team, if my team members are, are either on scrum teams, if you're in a matrix organization, they're matrixed out to different scrum teams and or you manage all the people who happen to be part of a scrum team, what, what do I do now that we're practicing scrum when we're giving people accountability and authority. Then, then, what happens to that manager role? I know what I did myself personally, and I know what I've coached other managers to do. But do you have a do you have guidance that you give folks who come to you and say, "I don't"? Is there a spot for me? And that's that question about self organizing versus self managing.
2: Yeah, I, I've actually seen this happen, and it worked out really well. And, you know, we I'll tell managers, you can actually spend a lot more time doing the work of a manager, right? Um, let's say you have a group that does some software development. You have a manager, and they're in charge of a big group of software developers. And they've been directing their day-to-day activities. They've been, you know, keeping on top of everything they're doing. They're probably doing some design work. They're probably way too in the weeds than they should be. When they stop that, then, then we start asking them questions like, well, what's your long-term plan for development tools? What's your DevOps strategy look like? Um, you know, What's your code coverage? What's your test automation look like? Um, what's your development plan for all your developers? What are the tools you're going to be using next year that you need to start looking at now or training now? Um, you know, What are some techniques you can bring in to your development organization to help them improve, um, you know, maybe doing more one-on-ones with your team and finding out what support they need. Um, a lot of times there'll be uh, process issues that we encounter where there's maybe there's a manual process for uh, releases or deployments or approvals or you know getting data for testing or something like that that. Teams have been complaining about for years, years and years, right? Like, hey, we can't get good test data, or we need another environment. Mm -hmm. Hey, those are the things your team is asking you for. If your job is really to support them so they can be their best, they're literally telling you what they need. And if it may not be easy, but if you can go and tackle those obstacles, if you can get them the tools and the training and the techniques and you know the support that they need, you'll see them be more effective. So that's, that's, that I think can get some managers excited. You know, you can get out of the weeds and start actually being a leader and supporting your team at a, at a higher level. And it's actually a better job. You know, not everybody wants to do it, especially technical managers have a hard time getting them out of the day-to-day work and out of the weeds, but you know, it can be a more rewarding job. uh... Hit, Hit the nail on the head.
0: Mm-hmm. sweet Tony Alicia. how do you usually um, coach managers in that way
1: who asked me that question oh a lot like a lot like uh, Chris just said yeah. there's are so so what I like to do is say well how's your system which is Chris talked about that in of the examples he gave so one yes how happy is your team do you know your team members, individuals needs and wants as professionals and what is the plan to help them grow? Do those, do their individual needs and wants fit in with what the company needs and wants them to do? So are there conversations that need to happen around that? And What is their plan for growth? How can you help them get there? And then what does your system look like? And that's all the so I would call it system stuff, Chris, and you tackled it, right? What's your code coverage look like? What's your TDD plan? If you're doing TDD, what's your BDD plan? How are you going to grow? Do you have the right tech stack? Um, What, What's your automation look like? Are your bugs getting through into production? If so, what's going on with your system that allows that to happen? Do you have the right environments? What if your team asked for for a year that you couldn't get them? Let's go get them that. Um, so it's, it's the same it's the same darn thing. All I did was just repeat what Chris said with a different tone of voice. But, <laughs> but it really is the same. It's get to know your people better. Yeah fix your system because no system is awesome and the better the system is the better the delivery is the happier the teams are the happier the customers are all the goodness but if if your hands are on the keyboard you're you're not able to focus on the individuals and you're not able to focus on the system
0: I'll spare the listeners of uh, repeating that for the third time But I'll add, I'll add one thing. The one thing I, I do try to focus on um, with the managers is to see their team as a team of experts. So like in the simulation, John, it's prob- John probably doesn't see his team as a team of experts. And they could very well be. And they probably are those experts who can deliver. But he needs to see them as those experts who can actually help him deliver whatever he's responsible for and he's he needs to treat them like that and support them as such um but it's 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 um i try to get him to visualize the team in that way instead of seeing the team as a bunch of knuckleheads who need to be managed and as you all said you know they need tools they need support so forth
1: And I will say that I believe, and this is maybe why I asked you that question at the beginning. So it might've been a leading question, but not a manipulative one, Nathan. I have gone into organizations and said, looky here, people. Individuals join a company and they leave managers. I don't think teams Mm -hmm. do well when they don't have leadership, when they don't have people who are invested in them to help them grow and who don't care a lot about them being there so i think that agile teams need leaders and that many managers can make the transition to leaders if they want to but that distinction is important so i think teams can be and should be really high on the scale of self-organizing and really well supported by their management leaders or leaders in management, or however you want to play around with that language. Maybe leaders in management positions is a better way to put it. I think teams still need that. I still need to know that someone's invested in me. I still need to know that someone cares greatly that I'm there and that I have something to contribute, and that wants to help me get as good as I can be at my contributions to the team.
0: Leaders can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Let let me ask, I mean, how many managers, if you said by percentage, how many managers out of 100 managers who are managers, how many of them do you think can make a successful transition to being a leader? If we just scooped up 100 managers at any Fortune 500 company that um, are in these management roles and... Is an agile um, over possibly over an agile team of those 100? How many can make a successful transition into being a leader?
2: I'm gonna say two or three out of ten.
0: Two or three out of ten. I i was, I, I'm going 25%. Yeah. So
1: my gut said 25%, Nathan. Mm-hmm. But I'm working with a group right now. I'm doing math in my head, so hold on a sec.
0: This could take long.
1: This could. You know, it's (laughs) just, Nathan, so help me God. I'm going to need therapy after all this. And I'm sending the bill to you. I'm a licensed therapist. (laughs) Is that why this is going so well? Is that that why I feel so good at the end of all these? Let me
0: know. Let me not mis- misrepresent myself and get sued by some organization. <laughs>
1: right. You, you yeah, want to rewind that or edit that out. it out, sir? So I work with four people who are seen as leaders and managers right now in the transformation that I'm working on. Mm-hmm. All four of them are eager and have asked, how do we make the shift from managers to leaders?
2: Okay. So
1: out of those four, all four. But if I looked at the better part of my career, I'm sticking with my gut answer, which was 25%.
0: 25. One out of four is going to make it. Yeah.
2: I, part of me thinks 25 is a little high.
0: <laughs> it probably is.
2: <laughs> it, Just, it, I mean, there, yeah, there, there are, it, it is hard work. It's hard work. When, when I first started managing people, I was horrible. <laughs> I was a bad manager. And I had to learn how to do it well, and it took a long time, and a lot of unfortunate souls had to suffer. <laughs> you know, and I'll say it's hard, it's challenging, and it takes a lot of commitment and dedication uh, and courage. Um, you know, I, I'm real big on authenticity. I feel like that is a a key leadership quality, and I also feel like it's something that individuals can sniff out far better than I think we're even consciously aware when someone's being authentic and when someone's fabricating a persona and um, you know, I, I, that one little aspect can take a long time (laughs) to develop and, and, you know, be open and transparent and have that authenticity and transparency. Um, That alone I think is, is a huge component to being a leader and it's, it's, I see a lot of managers not even want to endeavor down that path, much less to succeed.
0: Yeah. Authenticity is big in leadership.
2: Do, you, Do you, think- you want to talk about structure, team structure? or?
1: Well, maybe along the lines of team structure, Chris, I was just going to ask a question. I've seen mm-hmm. leaders emerge from inside the team too. So when management shifts away from that command and control, when they give the team autonomy and accountability, that's the word I was looking for earlier, autonomy and accountability, two sides of the, same, the, the coin that have to go together. I've seen individuals on the team become leaders inside the team, and the team self-organizes around that leadership, and that is the, that's the example of the highest-performing teams I've worked with. Is when that right there happens. And that's part of that team structure, Chris, I think, which is allowing for the team to create the structure that works for them because leaders emerge. And inherently, someone has to want to follow you for you to be a leader. I can't be a leader because someone says, she's our lead. I can't be a leader because I'm a manager or I have a title. I am only a leader when people want to follow me and where I'm going and believe in the message that I have and probably believe that I care about them. And so when those leaders emerge inside the team and leadership can cultivate that, those teams become so strong and so powerful. And I I think it's a leader's job to create an environment where that can happen.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. I think, I think in some way, the only way to make, leaders is with leaders, right? Uh, Like like it takes (laughs) leaders to make leaders. Yeah, Uh, You made me think about David Marquette when he vowed not to give another order. Uh, Yeah, He didn't say, I I, I kept it to myself. I I was thinking about not giving any orders, but I kept it to myself. I didn't want to tell the crew, right? He told the crew, I'm not giving orders. You have to figure it out. He trusted them. Like John, if, if they were, if that was John, right? John right now is not willing to let them figure it out. He wants to know what they're doing and be on top of everything they're doing. He's not trusting them to fail and, and recover and correct and fix. But Mark Marquette was, you know, he, he said, I'm not going to give another order and the, the team responded, right? They stepped up, not everybody, but enough, mm-hmm. enough leadership was cultivated emerged. To keep the team moving forward it right. emerged. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's development, right? That's exactly what we're talking about. That development can't occur. If it's stifled, the 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 manager has to step back and let the team lead itself and see who's going to develop those leadership skills. Yeah. I, um, I, I don't know if this is something we wanted to talk about. I think, we were talking this week about the role of the product owner, scrum master, manager, team member, and how, um, we have seen sometimes where the product owner is at a managerial level over the team or at a much higher level. And they don't feel comfortable pushing back on let's say the scope that the product owner wants in that sprint. Right. So we were talking about like, what's the right level for the product owner to be at and Yeah, so the team can have that healthy sort of check and balance and and pushback. You know, likewise, sometimes there's a team member on the team as an active developer, maybe part time, but they're also the team leader and almost everybody on the team reports to them. And during a retrospective, it's just crickets. You know, nobody's saying anything of substance. Everybody's afraid to criticize anything, you know, even each other. You know, even Alicia and I, uh, even if Alicia and I were on the team and we're working together and I have some feedback for Alicia, but you know, it's, it's, maybe it's slightly critical, you know, maybe it's something she can improve, but, and I don't want to say it because our boss is on the phone, right? How would that feel? So it really stifles the development of the team to have these power dynamics that don't help. They, they're not serving the team.
0: I totally agree, Chris. What do you think, um, what do you all think the ideal team structure is for Agile teams? What do you mean by that? As far as reporting structure.
2: What I've seen work pretty well, and and it's probably not ideal, it's probably just, you know, a carryover from when the team was waterfall and they were matrixed, was having The Scrum Masters report into one team that's kind of like former PMO, right? It's a group of Scrum Masters, and maybe there's some other managerial-type roles in there. Um, The team members report up to managers based on their function. Maybe you've got software developers that have a skill set and testers and maybe UX designers. And the reason they still report up to that functional managers, but just because that functional manager knows how to hire those people. They know how to train them. You know, they have an expertise in, maybe it's Java, maybe it's, uh, you know, Oracle. Um, And so they're mentoring those individual team members. Um, And then the product owner is part of a product management group and those managers you know the scrum master manager and the product management group and the functional managers they can all report up to an executive but at least in that line uh you know the scrum masters product owners and team members are all individual contributors at the same level and all of their bosses are at the same level and can you know work out an escalation if need be yep. um and would, you know yeah
1: disagree. Uh Oh, okay. Okay. Well,
2: yeah. Let so, me, let me just put up right. one last part because then I think that the, the managers of the team members, their job is to help those team members develop those skills, but the day-to-day work is directed by the product owner on and the scrum master on the team
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, that the functional manager wouldn't direct their day-to-day work. Um, usually sometimes there's some design, you know, big design work that's gonna be done or architecture that's gonna be done and they chipped in. But um, that—that I've seen that work. And I know it's probably just it worked in that company. They probably just transitioned from matrix project management over to this. Mm -hmm. Um, But it actually worked pretty well for them. uh, yeah, but I'm sure it's to a lot of criticism. At least go go ahead. You well,
1: I I think it could work. I'm not saying, oh my goodness, that's a recipe for disaster. Like there, I've heard a lot of really bad ideas that I wouldn't count that in the in the category of super bad ideas by any means, Chris. I think the reason I've seen that be challenging is because. Then you've got four managers that have to be on the same page, and if they're not on the same page, then you get a funky dynamic inside your team. Which is your scrum master. Let's let's just take yeah the p the p, the scrum master probably does report to someone else. Probably the product owner definitely they report to someone else. But your delivery team members in there, your QA, your design, your um, your devs when they have different managers then you can sometimes get well quite frankly pissing matches going on between the dev manager and the qa manager may not agree on something and so then their team members don't agree on something and then that impacts the delivery team and so you have to then create alignment between four or five different managers, and that's a big challenge in my experience. And so what I found was if instead of a heavily matrixed organization, you have a person who is providing leadership and love and gu- appropriate love and guidance to this, to this, deliver- this scrum delivery team, You now have one person who's cultivating the growth of the team as a whole, maybe one or two, because usually the Scrum Master reports out someplace else, usually product reports Mm -hmm. someplace else. But then you have this cultivation across the board that allows for a little bit more consistency and consistency in messaging. So I've worked with teams where the dev manager was – did not want to embrace agile. The QA manager did, and that was reflected in how their team members showed up for the team, and and that was a big impediment. And what we relied on in that case was my voice is probably getting real loud. I should drop it a little bit. What You're we okay. relied on in that case was up. Oh, I got a little excited right there. <laughs> what we relied on in that case is their leaders, Chris, to be able to to work with the 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 mid-level managers to, to get them on the same page and they weren't equipped to do that. And so it was just this nightmare of personalities and desires and fiefdoms and whatever the interpersonal interactions were that wasn't good between them. And that played out every single day on that delivery team and their ability to deliver was stifled. So I've seen, I like it better when when QA and dev report into the same place because it's the same message and it builds that we are a delivery team and we have different responsibilities on the team, but we're all responsible for quality. We're all responsible for automation. We're all levels of different levels of automation. We're all responsible to the same person who's focused on Having this team deliver out to our customer, I, I just I've seen it work easier. Matrix for me has been, quite frankly, really political.
2: And yeah, and you probably I, I had a like, good organization. I like what you said, Alicia. I do. I like. I like. What says, I like too. that better. Yeah, yeah. I like. Yours I've better. never been anywhere where th- I, I, w- I th- actually I think I have seen some teams where the manager is the manager for everybody on the team. And the risk there is they get way too involved in the team's work sometimes. But, yeah, I think you're right. I think the the team members should have a manager, and as few as possible, right? few managers yeah. across right. that team. Because you're right. If you had 10 team members and they all reported to different managers, right, that is just an opportunity for chaos, right? E- you even can have,
1: three, Chris. Quite frankly, I've seen it go sideways yeah. with three managers, Add some more on top of their smoke-a-roonies. Now you've got a, a pretty nasty hornet's nest in, in most cases.
0: So I like what you said. Um, we, Felicia, could you I say like, that
1: again, Nathan? Could I you, do.
0: I like what you said, and yes. I like your idea better than what I'm going to share. Okay, I like I like your experience better than what I'm going to share. So I am, I am in more of Chris's camp. Um, But I have to tell you, there's two reasons for that. One is that all of the high performing teams I've been on Mm -hmm. um, have had team members that all reported to different managers and everybody showed up. They brought their best to work. They were experts at what they did for whatever reason. We didn't have to do a lot of escalations and the politics didn't get involved. Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. And
0: uh, we were, we were just grinding it out in a good way. It was uh-huh. I have not coached a high performing team where there's been a, um, a manager, a, a, a manager on a team that has direct reports on the team. All of the high performing teams I've coached, um, all have different managers. They all really? come from different. Yes. I've never mm. coached a high performing team that had anybody, reporting to anybody on a the team. They've all been teams that had terrible dynamics. They wouldn't hold each other accountable. Whatever the manager said went. Um, so, you know, I'm kind of limited by my experience
2: there. But, Nathan, you're saying that that manager is an active team member. He's a scrum team member. Right.
1: Oh, well, that that's bad.
2: Yeah. He, he's, yeah, no. he, can I he's imply that's active. what I was
1: saying? I hope right. I didn't imply that's what I was saying. No, no,
2: no. I got what you were saying.
1: Oh, okay. You're
0: veering a little to the left. Okay. I'm uh, just you. a little bit. But either that manager was active on the team mm-hmm. as a product owner, mm-hmm. um, usually as a product owner, or mm-hmm. was way too involved with the team and somehow mm-hmm. became some kind of unofficial member of the team. Right. Um like almost de facto. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um but I've never had a high-performing team that had a manager st- management structure, either as a team member or as a coach, where there was a, anybody reporting to somebody else on the team.
1: No, that that's a bad call. Now I told you at the beginning I did that five times, right? And I also said, don't don't do what I do, people. It's not always wise to have to learn your lesson the hard way. But I had some great great successes with it. But I wouldn't say it's easily repeatable. Mm. Really, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I would never put together a workshop that said, go do this. Cool. And I, and I for the same reason. If you're reporting, there's just no safety. <laughs> there's, there's, if my boss is. No, on, that's the word. Yeah, I mean, if my boss is on my team, I'm not going to feel safe to fail and recover and learn whether my boss tells me I have room to or not.
0: You can't even say the F word if mm-hmm. your boss is on your team.
1: No, I can't. Well, can you imagine me in an environment where I couldn't do that, Nathan? But, and I've reined it in, but you know on the very last podcast, you know it's coming. You know it's coming. I'm saving it up. You're to say the fail word? It's coming for you, Nathan. Yeah, I'll fit failure in there too. You bet. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I that's a so when when I said to Chris, I've heard worse ideas. <laughs> that one right there would be one yeah. I would get pretty stompy about as a coach if I came in in an organization had team members reporting to someone on the team. That would yeah. that would be a cause for some stompiness for sure.
0: Yeah,
2: it's a bad power dynamic. Absolutely. It is
1: a really bad one.
2: Well,
0: coaches, we've talked about this for about an hour. Have we uh, shared everything? We want to share, cover everything we want to cover.
1: Nathan, you know we're nerds, so we could sit here for another hour and just espouse stuff, but I don't know that it would be meaningful for people to listen to.
2: True, true that. Yeah. Yeah, I could do this every Wednesday if you want. (laughs) (laughs) On on this same topic, right, Chris? On on this very topic, we could
1: go and go. Yeah, we could tell stories after stories. Yeah.
2: (laughs) <laughs> we shall reform all the Johns of the world.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, bless John. For, and and I wonder too. Yeah. And I'm gonna toss this out there, and then Nathan edit it out or keep it, right? But what's John been exposed to? What kind of leadership oh. has John oh, seen? Man. What kind of? So let peel back that. What 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 is his manager inside the company saying? And and that's where. You look at this simulation, and Nathan, that's why I said we could probably talk about this simulation for another hour, but I need dinner. I'm hungry. Um, it's uh, what's happening inside the system yeah. of leadership, that this is cultivated or crafted or supported or encouraged or even tolerated. As a coach, I'm going to come I'm... and say, hmm, something else is at play here. Yeah, Something in addition.
2: I remember meeting a group of executives where I was going to talk to them about the command and control environment I was seeing amongst the managers that worked for them. (laughs) And I got to listen into, you know, some of their meeting before that where I just heard them talking to each other. Uh And I was appalled. Uh I was appalled. The language was command and control. It was direct. Like even these executives, very highly paid Highly skilled, very effective executives are being directed, command and controlled and micromanaged, you know, by, by their senior executives. So, yeah, you, you, can, you can kind of see where the culture of command and control gets rewarded and reinforced, and it makes it difficult to shake loose. It is, yeah.
0: You know, you, the key, I think one of the key words you said there, uh, Chris, is culture. I think there's an aspect of, um, you know, where these executives probably learn this behavior. You know, in business school, they don't teach you a lot about, you know, respect for people, empowering people, things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. But a lot of times it's the culture that actually feeds it, supports it, and uh, rewards managers for having that command and control attitude. Thank you for listening to this episode of Transformation Simulation. We hope it has helped with your Agile transformation and personal transformation. Thanks to the Agile coaches on this episode. Our music is created by Gilpin Hill. You can find this episode and all other episodes of Transformation Simulation anywhere podcasts are available. You can also visit our website, transformationsimulation.com, to listen to every episode of this podcast and read every simulation. We place everything online, you can see it all there. Uh, Any comments or questions, connect with us at transformationsimulation.com.